Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Empire, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 142, Wild Game Cold Cuts. On this episode of Huntivore, Nick climbs out of a winter funk living absent of sunlight for what seemed like forever, running from practices to games, having little time to cook meals. His family has been living off fast food for what seems like weeks, and it did not sit well. Time to shake things up and get wild game back into his everyday diet, creating sliceable roasts for the purpose of making sandwiches brought back excitement. Let's take control of our deli choices on this episode of... Huntivore. Well, hey folks, beautiful evening here in Michigan. I tell you what, we came off of a week uh, during uh, Valentine's Day where, man, you needed the Valentine to keep your spirits up and moving. It was gray. It was cold. It was no fun. It was just one of those weeks where it just it felt good to stay inside. It felt good to put something uh, on simmer, on low, uh, in the kitchen and snack on that later. Um, I know my life has been a little bit uh, topsy-turvy. I haven't had a chance to get out and do a whole lot outside as of, anyway, last week. Um, We've just been super busy. Uh, Double sports with the boys. I got two boys in two sports. So here we are on the basketball court and the wrestling mat. uh, Being involved, being a super dad, trying to coach in both. Trying to also cheer for for every kid that I've got. Being able to catch all those games. We've just been running back and forth, back and forth, between practice and school and then games and other events. We've just been all over. And I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of people tuning in right now that are saying the exact same thing and that are, yes, relating with everything that's going on right now. It It is fun. Don't get me wrong. I am having fun watching my boys come out of their shell. I am stoked to see everything that they've been able to do. But at the same time, like, man, I got out yesterday. I got out a couple different times. In fact, that that Sunday, I was out, well, brother-in-laws went out disc golfing and had a great time out there. I was hoping at this course to find a couple sheds. Um, I was throwing pretty good, though, so I didn't have to venture too far off of the fairway. So I didn't get to look under too many of the pine trees that were there. Uh, but I had a great, great time out there doing that. Um Came home, the dog needed to go for a run. So again, another little shed hunting seat or session out into the woods. I uh, covered some ground. We actually kicked up a herd of deer, and that was fun to, to witness and see, just get a head count. Um, trying to wrangle in my pup from trying to chase them all off. That was another story. So they got to watch me act like a fool and try to get my dog back, uh, back to me. He did, eventually. So he... We kept him from uh, chasing the deer all the way across the county. But anyway, that was a great time to go out. Got back, and then we had one of the boys who wanted to go back out and uh, search for squirrels. So we went to a different section of the woods, 
took along the 22 and, uh, yeah, it just ended up being a good walk. Nothing, nothing jumped out. Nothing was scurrying across the round. It was pretty windy. So I could see why most of the squirrels were inside or in their little, little dens at that moment. But at least we got out, at least we got to do something and being in the sunshine, being in the fresh air, Oh, it just felt so good. This week, we're hitting high temps that we normally wouldn't be hitting this time of year. Here we are, late February, and I saw 62 degrees in Michigan. It's, I know, it's too good to be true, and I'm sure winter is ready to come back around the corner. We're going to get some more snow. I know it's coming, so uh, we'll just hold on tight for when that gets here. So, at least that's the start of what we've been doing, at least on the outside. Um, Today's episode, I do want to get into trying to kind of establish a little bit more of regularity uh, because we've been so busy uh, with kids' practices, because we've been so busy um, just with the family and getting from school and, and all the events. Uh, I did put up a few meals in the freezer as like, hey, we can get back to these. Uh, I had some chili and some in some freezer bags. We had, uh, I think, a lasagna saved up, but not near enough to withstand all all of these weeks of running around. So we've been depleted. We've resorted. Oh, I hate to say it to like fast food. Oh, it's killing me. It, we, you know, we, we grab a bite to eat at, at McDonald's or we, uh, shoot, we pass by the Culver's. And so we get the kids a bite to eat at Culver's and then we get on to the next thing. We're just surviving at that moment. And I tell you what, it pains me more than anything else to have to drive in, order my food. That's, you know, who knows where it's been domestically packaged, who knows what the processes is that it's gone through. And you just put it down. You're like, let me just like close my eyes for a few moments as I suck down these fries full of salt, full of oil, and then turn around and same thing, shove that burger down my throat and just be like, you know what? Forget it. Things will get better at some point. Well, Hey, I've declared it. I'm saying, Hey, I'm done with that. I'm done with ordering out for lunch. I know last week, shoot, I ordered, I ordered from Jimmy John's and now, Hey, this is not me hating on Culver's or McDonald's. They got their place and Jimmy John's, you know what? You make a dang good sandwich. However, I'm sad to say that I think I had multiple orders from Jimmy John's last week, just trying to have something for lunch. And it did. It just got to the point where I was like, listen, I need something homemade. I need something fresh that I've put together. I need to get off this ordering train out of this eating out business. So that's why we've been able to bring it on in. And that's what I want to talk about uh, in this episode. Before we do get into that, you are possibly listening to this. Many of you might even be watching this. So I'm now posting all of my uh, episodes on YouTube. So if you are on YouTube, thanks for joining in. Thanks for watching along with. Uh, we're hoping to spice this up a little bit. I mean, I got two 
<laughs> I got two deer heads behind me, and that's it. We need a background. We need to jump up. I know. I got. I guess if we're gonna push it out, we need to get some sort of professional look. We will get there eventually. We're gonna. We're gonna step up our game. But while we're here, hey, ignite that like button. Go ahead and give it a click. Change its color. That way, you know that you enjoyed what what you've been watching, and I get a glimpse of what you want. Hey. Take that subscribe button and cut it on a cross cut. That way you're getting those uh, real tender cuts off that subscribe button. Uh, so, yeah, that way you get to see more of what I'm doing each and every bi-weekly time that we're here. So that, that way you are uh, upfronted. I think there's a bell notification. Hit that bell. Um, that'll help out as well. That'll push it forward for you. Um but yeah, if you're not on that platform, you're still on the old platform of podcasting, that's going to continue. This is going to be the tried and true. If you would sharpen me up with some of those five-star ratings, that would help. I think the ones that I have, I love them, and they are endearing. However, eh, let's get a few more of them here. I think I'm still doing some quality work. And season me up with just a bit of those reviews. Tell folks why you like to tune in. Tell folks what makes the Huntivore the stop for when you want to do something with your wild game. So anyway, those couple things I am going to ask of you. And yeah, we can finally get into uh, our episode here of Cold Cuts. I think I did some sort of episode uh, about sandwich making uh, in the past, but I still feel like it's a good one to highlight. It's a good one to bring up because, again, if you go to the deli and you're picking up shaved turkey, have you looked? Have you looked at the price? If you've gotten roast beef, I definitely know you have seen the sticker shock uh, from that. You get any sort of quality. You pick up a boar's head. And you get a pound of chafed roast beef. Yeah, you're looking at a buco bucks. You're almost reaching 20 bucks right now for a pound. I'm sure it's right around that $17, $18 mark uh, if you could find it semi-cheap. Meat is becoming a commodity. Meat is becoming one of those that if you don't have your hands in the involvement of procuring it and cooking it and being able to slice it up, you're going to pay a pretty penny. It is uh, it is quite expensive. Um, but at the same time, we've talked a lot about you know what quality comes from you being able to put the quality into it. We already talked about how awesome venison is. We already raise up the turkey, the wild bird that we're going to be going after here in the next upcoming weeks. I know here in Michigan, people are getting real excited about it. You got to still, you got like a month or so. I'm not exactly sure when opening is. It might even be May. But anyway, it's coming up quicker than what you think. At the same time, I think I've got a second opportunity here at some wild hog. So picking up the trifecta, getting some ham put together and procured for some cold cut sandwiches here that we're going to be making up. So those are those three things that we're going to touch on uh, today. We'll get into even how to take that roast. We're going to talk about the roasting, but then even when we get into the slicing, does it really matter? You know, is is thickness really something you want to tout about? Is something is that something you really want to dive into and really hone in on yourself? I personally say absolutely, but we'll we'll get into the reasons why or why why not. But anyway, yeah, we're on to some sandwich making. Um, another reason why I think I'm all up on sandwiches right now is my wife has really gotten good at the sourdough baking. We procured, we got 
uh, or well, I don't want to say we procured, we were gifted uh, a sourdough starter from a friend. Uh, in fact, I brought it home this past summer, and so she's had time to dabble with it. But when I brought it home, I I was at my buddy's house getting my hair cut, and as she's cutting my hair, his wife says, "Hey." do you think Elisa would like a sourdough starter? I've got a bunch of discard that I need to get rid of. And that's where your starter has already uh, fermented. It's already been able to eat up the culture or it's eaten up the food that you've been given. So you're going to either have to feed that whole thing or discard a bunch and then remake it. So she was going to get rid of a bunch of it. And I said, you know what? I think she'd be really into that. So yeah, put some in a jar for me. So I came home with a fresh haircut and I held up a uh, a jar of starter and I said, hey babe, guess what? I brought home some sourdough starter. I didn't realize what kind of mood my wife was in at that moment. She had just got done dealing with the three boys. She felt a little overwhelmed I think in the state of the house and a couple other things, maybe, maybe work. I, I don't know, but she was just not in the mood, uh, for something else living in our house. So she held the jar. She looked at it and she says, great. Another thing to keep alive, left it on the counter and walked away. And so I thought, well, you know what? Maybe sourdough isn't in our future. But I'll tell you what, sourdough has stayed. It has become a part of our family. We enjoy the sourdough. Uh, I personally have been able to make some bagels uh, with the sourdough. That's been really fun to make. And I've also made English muffins, both of which use the discard, both of which that's one way I can be able to use those uh, that product as we continue to use it. So that's been super fun. Uh, just to look into something that you would have every day. Um, they go quick. For bagels and English muffins, I always have to make a double batch because when they're fresh, they go fast. And a family of five, shoot, there's one batch out in one morning. And then, like, the allure slows down after the next couple days. But, man, day one of fresh bagels, day one of fresh anything, uh, fresh loaf, it, it gets hammered. And so... Uh, my wife has been really on point with trying to up her game when it comes to uh, her sourdough loaf. It started out with temperatures. It started out with, well, when do I take the lid on? When do I leave the lid on the uh, Dutch oven, or when do I take it off? Um, playing with some of her ratios in in her, the amounts that she puts in there, even times that she then lets it rise. So. She went from, at one point, it was like a 15, 15, 15 minutes, and then it became a 15, 20, 15. Well, then it became like a 20, 20, 20, and then that was too much. Then it went 20, 15, 20. Like, she's gone, she's gone textbook on it. She's gone research on trying to make sure she pulls out the best loaf. And I tell you what, it makes sandwich time awesome. Toast in the morning. That's that's what it's all about. A big old slice, throw it in the toaster, and then with some apple butter or even just some fresh strawberry jam. That is that's where it's at. That's how you start the day. But yeah, that's enough to say that I've gotten really excited about uh, making sandwiches lately. So now let's dive into the meat of the discussion. Here we're going to be going with that trifecta that I was talking about. We're going to be talking about our venison that's going to replace our roast beef. We're going to be talking about turkey here. Uh, both dark meat and white meat. We can use both of those. 
And at the same time, we're going to be talking a little bit about ham and curing and getting the best that we can out of maybe that that wild hog that not people that people have not taken as much advantage of. So yeah, we're starting out with the venison. Uh, I just made some roast venison the other day solely for the purpose of making sandwiches. That was the goal. I had two top rounds. And by going with the top rounds, I really wanted long muscle fibers. I wanted uh, a big a hunk of meat. I really wanted to be able to get that whole side cross-section. Um, because what I'm not doing is I don't have a deli roll, or at least where I've taken chunked meat, stuck it into a bag with with a binder, cooked it in that bag, and then be able to peel that off that then spits out those uniform slices that we get from the deli where they're running through the slicer and they just come out the same thing, same thickness and that same circle. We actually have a little bit of variation in in what we have because it's made at home. There's always going to be a little bit of that variation. But from that, I used the top round and I went with a uh, dry brine overnight. So I hit it with a seasoning. I've been working with, uh, some of the stuff that I got from the Kairos uh, guys. I did an episode with them quite a while ago. I need to need to have them back on again. Um, but I used one of their uh, their salt and coffee rubs that would that usually usually goes with a lot of stuff. But I really like how it works with with venison in a uh, in a roast scenario or even in a, a steak scenario. Uh, but I use that salt and coffee mixture rub. And I hit it on all sides, both top rounds, because they were smaller. They were off a of salvage deer. Um, little little button buck, but you know what? He's uh, he's going to good use. So I had those two seasoned up on a wire rack. Those go into the oven, or not, excuse me, into the refrigerator for overnight. So I did it that night, stayed in there, waited until the next night before I had a chance to actually get after them. And at that point, the... The pan underneath is is liquid. So we've got a little bit of the purge that's going on underneath. It's not blood, but it was just a bunch of the purge that was out of the meat um, in the pan, which is good because I I did want to wick off some of the outside moisture. I did want to kind of dry out the outside and get it tacky, mainly because what I've done is by that dry brine, that that seasoning has had a chance to work its way. It's not going to go all the way into the middle of that cut. We're, we're looking at like quarter inch on this. Kind of, you know, just getting the service, almost like a marinade would at that point. But at the same time, it's also going to be wicking off that extra moisture that's going to inevitably give us some sort of mushy texture. And we wanted to avoid that. So into that, we did that overnight. Now it comes time for we're going to the to the oven. I put my oven on at 500 degrees. That's as high as that'll go. It's a convection oven too, so I had it on convection roast. So with that convection roast, turns a little fan on in the back, so I got now moving air that's going to be going over the top of this. And I know that with it being at 500 degrees, I am putting a, I'm pouring a lot of heat units onto the outside of this thing. It's not going to take long for this uh, very... Um, what do I say, lean piece of meat to get up to temperature. So I am fully taking advantage of, of watching this. Probe thermometer, 
goes into the side midsection of what that is going to be. Both those go into the oven, and then I just watch that temperature. I know there's going to be a lot of carryover, so keeping my roast, trying to get my roast to a medium as opposed to like a medium rare, the more rarer that you get it, the more difficult it is going to be to slice thin. You're going to want some sort of backing onto it. So going with uh, a roast venison on the medium side, that's going to be helpful for trying to make sandwiches. So I pulled that out. Oh, got it. We're, hit, we're in the back into the oven. Sorry. Back into the oven with the probe in it. Probe hit 120. I pulled it out because normally I, I'm pulling out uh, at like 110 for my steaks. But with my roast getting up to like 120, I know it's going to have some carryover. So I pulled it out. I thought I was going to have 10 degrees of carryover. I had 14. Uh, it took me all the way up to 134. Well, it wanted to peak up at 135, but then it's you could see the bell curve on the graph as it was then coming back down. And that was good. I wanted it to get somewhere in there. Could I have pulled it at 115 and then let it get up to 130? That'd probably been a smarter move. If I were to take the oven temp and back it down to 450 and done the same move up at 120, I wouldn't have near, I don't think, the carryover that I would have with even that extra 50 of degrees that was uh, on that piece of meat. There's going to be some play in there. So, yeah, 450 to 500 for, man, it's like 20 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. Temperature gets to 115 or 120, pull it out, let carryover do its thing. Now, on top of that, what I learned, too, with confit, which is a French, you know, French term where you're, you're cooking within its fat, I did that a lot with small game, and I learned that not only do you, when you pull it out of the heat, out of the water, you want to let it come to room temperature first before you get it into the refrigerator. You want to kind of have two stages to this cool down, or at least let it finish cooling to room temp and then begin the second cooling. And what that's going to do is that's going to allow, in the confit world, that's going to allow for the oil to more, to better absorb into the meat so that you get more of this uh, velvety texture rather than just have all the juices outside and the meat be dry. So there is a method to the madness when it comes to letting it cool down. I applied that same thing with the roasts. Pulled them out. Let them just hang out on the counter until they came down to, I don't know, 80s or something at that point. But they were already way up at the 100s, 120, 100, well, it peaked up at 135. And as I let it came down, I let it hit right around that 80 degree mark where it was still just a little warm to the touch. Once I got it there, I then moved it to the refrigerator to finish off the cool overnight. So overnight it went into the fridge again. And what I was left with was uh, a nice dry outside. Because I did hit it with a second layer of the seasoning and I had some mustard that was on there as well as a binder, I did get a little bit of soupiness on there a little bit. You can still see where a little bit of the the mustard hasn't uh, melted off or gone into the meat as well. It's still sitting on the outside holding on uh, the seasoning. But as I, as I cut into it, I have a real good backing to be able to slice through that. It, it, it has some body. It has some texture. It, it holds up. 
to being cut. It holds up to being held. It's not so loosey-goosey. Which then, as I make my slices through, I could work on getting them as thin as I possibly could. From that, I could get the product that I wanted. Um, slice them as, you know, again, I'm working for eighth of an inch is what I'm going for. If I can even go like a 16th and a half, like, man, I'll try it. But, you know, at some point, like it, you know, my blade slips off and I only get half of that, that really thin paper cut. Um, but there's some technique that goes with it. There's some practice that goes along with slicing, uh, slicing for that purpose. So we get done with uh, the venison here. So now let's say you're not into a, a venison sandwich. Let's say you're not into the veni. You want to save that for roasting steaks. Well, then we can move on to turkey. Turkey season's coming up here. Uh, or if you've got an awesome little, like, local farm that you could just pick up birds at, like, shoot, I could help you find a place. But anyway, once you get your, your bird down, a couple different avenues, you first have to think about, do I want dark meat or do I want white meat? What am I, what am I going to be looking at? What am I going to be going for? And just like that, that venison, I could, I could brine it, dry brine it. I would season it all. And with, with the rub of my choice, sit it in the refrigerator overnight, pull it out, Maybe hit the outside with a little bit of mustard just as, you know, to sprinkle on some more. High heat. Put in that thermometer. With poultry, you do want to get it up there to like 130, 137, I think, kills most parasites. Um, you There is an article Hank Shaw put together on how everything can really be brought up to like the 137 to 145. And it's the... It's the USDA that's really pushing for the 165 because they're trying to cover their tracks, which, I mean, that's a smart move to do. If you're not sure what you're doing with poultry, I would really take it to the 165 um, just to be on the safe side. But to take uh, to take that uh, to take that breast and go up to like 137 and hold that temperature for a minute and then do as I did where I pulled it out, let it rest, and then let it get to room temp, then go to the refrigerator. That's one way to do that. Um, again, with, with turkey, though, playing that rare game, playing that uh, medium game, like it's not something you want to do. So I even think taking up to like 140, 145, you might be okay when it comes to the white meat. Um, that's going to give it that little bit of extra body where you're going to be able to slice through clean, where if you go cross grain, yeah, you can be able to slice it. You can get it real nice and thin, and that's going to lay great on if you're making a wrap, if you're making a, a sandwich, whatever you're trying to do with that. That's going to be a great setup for that. Uh, on the, the smoke side of it, I would really like look at the, the dark meat for that. Maybe bone out a, a thigh. Pull the bone out. Once you've got that thigh out, you can wrap or roll that that thigh up into kind of like a deli ball at that point, tuck it up, tie it nice and good, season it just like we did, hit it in the smoker. With the dark meat, you can take it a little higher. 160, 165 is not bad for that because it is going to have a little bit of that 
more of that fat that's involved uh, with being an overworked muscle. And it's going to need a little time to relax. So that's a great way to do that. But you could smoke it there. I'm a hickory sucker, so I'm going to put it on hickory smoke. You could do apple. You could do pecan. You could do shoot whatever you want to uh, as far as, as wood choice goes. But by doing that smoke for a little bit longer and doing that smoke for a little bit hotter, that's going to help make that break down that thigh to something where you can take a bite and pull it away rather than pull out the whole slice, if you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever made a sandwich like that where it's just a little too toothy, a little too brought together, where you end up taking a bite and you pull the whole the whole midsection out, so you have to slurp that up, and it, now you have two pieces of bread with mayo and mustard touching. No fun. No fun on that. So give it a little bit of an extra time uh, with that thigh. But just like we did, you bring it up to temp, let it cool down, and then get into that fridge, give it a little stiffness, pull it back out, slice thin, lay it on on there. A smoked turkey sandwich, I tell you what, any kind of mustard. It can be seedy, it could be just plain yellow. That's that's a go-to right there. Just mustard and smoked turkey, and that'll get you through a lot of days. That'll get you through a lot of weeks of, of being able to use that. Um, I do have a recipe uh, for smoking your breast or your thigh, and I have that at the Sportsman's Empire blog site. It will be a little bit lower in that. I'm sure there's a search bar if you just put in hunt for smoked turkey, it should pop up. I'll see if I can't slide it into the show notes so that it is also there so you can quick go to it, get what you need, and move along. Um, actually tying in with ham as well, quick quick little tangent. Both of those, both the smoking of the turkey and the smoking of the ham, probably is going to include cure. Cure can come across at Instacure or prog powder or pink salt, whatever you want to call it. Uh, not the Himalayan pink salt. This is something completely different. This is with the nitrates or the nitrates. Um, if you start getting into the world of cold cuts and you get into the world of sausage making and you get in the world of smoking meat, you're going to come across more and more about Cure and... It's good to do your research when it comes to which one are you going to use. Uh, I believe Instacure number one is just nitrates, where Instacure number two is nitrites and nitrates. I could even be wrong on that. Don't sue me if I am. I will have to check that up or check that out just to make sure that I'm correct on that. But what I am correct on is that you don't need a whole lot of that stuff. In fact, too much of that stuff can definitely not do well for your system, but just the right amount is going to help uh, enhance both the color and it's going to enhance just the way that the smoke adheres, the way the seasonings take off, the way that it's going to be uh, preserving that cut for just a little bit longer. Using that cure is going to be help uh, helpful when it comes to that shelf life. Um, as a rule, I believe it is point two five ounces and this is weight per pound so we're talking less than a teaspoon per pound of cure or per pound of meat less than a teaspoon of i think it's maybe for five pounds but anyway teaspoon per 
whatever the weight is, could be a pound, could be five pounds. Again, double check that because I'm just a guy rambling here, dabbling with, uh, with Cure. I definitely read what I'm looking at uh, as far as the instruction goes or I just to look it up to make sure. But at the same time, you don't need a whole lot to enhance that. You don't need a whole lot to get what you're trying to get across uh, with that product. So you can use that with the turkey. You could also use that with the ham. Ham uh, might take a little bit longer just because, let's say, I got a wild hog. There's a couple different avenues that I could go with this. I could do it as a hold leg. I did a boneless ham where I left the leg intact, took off the shank, took out the femur, and I was then left with just the whole boneless haunch. At that point, rolled it all up, tied it all up, scored the fat. Uh, that went into the cure, which was brown sugar, salt, and uh, insecure number two. And I had that in there for seven days. And I was checking not just the surface. The surface is going to get real pink. It's going to firm up really well. Uh, but at the same time, I kind of opened up where I had rolled it up to make sure that it was deep on the inside. Because what can happen is you can cure on the outside, but then you get to the inside and all of a sudden there's this gray patch or like this little brown patch right deep in the center. And that's where the, the cure has not quite gotten to yet. Good thing that you cook it and smoke the whole thing from the, uh, to the proper temperature, that it's not that big a deal. At the same time, the presentation of that little donut hole that's a little gray, that's a little brown, you don't want that. You want that beautiful pink all the way through. So really make sure that you get that uh, fully encased. The thicker that it is, the longer it's going to take. And at the same time, you also have the route of injecting, having a manual injector just a giant syringe that you could pull your brine into and then shoot it down into the midsection of that ham is going to be helpful. Um, so that was doing a whole haunch. That's not to say that, let's say you get a, or get a pig, you've already skinned it, and uh, you start taking apart the leg, and now you've got the individual muscle groups. You can do a top-round ham. You can do a bottom-round ham. It's does not matter. Uh, you could take those and just have smaller cuts, more individualized cuts that, you know, smaller smoker, you like, you can't do a whole leg. So I'm just going to do these individual muscles. That's all going to work fine and dandy. Uh, most of the time too, you are taking off that fat cap anyway, just because it's not going to do well in the smoker and it's not going to do well with the cure. Kind of gets spongy, doesn't crisp it up like the way that we want to when it's under high heat. High heat's where you're going to really want uh, to get that crispiness. And, you know, we're, we're going with the smoking aspect, so we're not going to get that. But yeah, being able to do that with your ham also is going to be an excellent way to be able to utilize that. And again, get it to that, get it to room temperature, get it into the, into the refrigerator. Now you've got the ability to pull it out, slice it up and send it on its way. Coming up here on, uh, before we get into the next one, as we're talking about cold cuts, I mean, we can even get to the idea of salami. We can talk about capicola. 
we can talk about making a really good, like, spicy pepperoni that we lay out on a sub sandwich or we lay out on uh, some Italian bread. And that is just going to take a little bit more handling. And that's going to use some fermenting. That's going to use some cure. There's just a lot that goes into that. But at the same time, the folks over at Umai Dry, they have been great when it comes to taking that old world charcuterie, that old world meat uh, processing, and bringing it to the home kitchen. They've done an awesome job. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to run their ad right now because I not only uh, are they uh, sponsoring the show, they're doing a great job, but at the same time, they also have the know-how to take our wild game to the next. So make sure that you check out Umai Dry at umaidry.com. Um, you can sign up for their newsletter and get 10% off. Uh, if you follow the link down in the show notes, um, yeah, you can go in a couple different routes. I have done some whole muscle, and I have done some uh, fermented sausage. Both of them have come out dynamite uh, with my wild game. So, yeah, really, check them out. I'm going to run that ad right Dry aged steaks used to be a steakhouse only indulgence. An old world charcuterie was pricey due to being imported or created at a small batch specific scale. Thanks to Umai Dry, their synthetic dry aging bags and cases allow you to create these meat crafting treats in your own kitchen. Working in tandem with your fridge, the Umai Dry bag material allows moisture and air to pass through, making it possible to dry age large cuts of steaks or roasts. Paired with their curing and seasoning kits, along with safe and easy-to-follow instructions, salamis and dry sausage are well within your grasp. Use the link in the show notes and sign up for the newsletter to receive 10% off your order. Umai Dry, helping us elevate our wild game from the home kitchen. So we've talked about several different cuts even looking into getting some of that salami pepperoni involved. I mean, that's going to be an experiment on my behalf, but at the same time experiment on your behalf. I think you should really check that out. Um, just a little bit that I've done both with uh, my sujuk sausage. That one's more of like a little charcuterie. It's got, starts out with like a little bit of nutmeg and then finishes out with this, you know, spicy pepper on the end. Oh, it's so good. Um, I made some salami on a bigger scale, all venison. Um, man, I tell you what, it's such a treat. Uh, I've got I've got some casing still left over, so I know there's like one more uh, round that I can do uh, to experiment. I forget which seasoning is on deck. I think it's a German-style seasoning, so I'm, I'm excited to give that a shot. But anyway, now when it, when it comes to slicing this stuff, it's, it is a lot about the equipment, but it is also more about practice as well. Um... You're going to want to stay away from your fatter, thicker blades. Um, a steak knife will work out really well, but if you've got a dedicated slicer knife, I mean, shoot, if you have a dedicated meat slicer, you're already a, a head and shoulders above me. I don't, I don't have one of those. I have access to one, but I don't actually have one yet. Um, you're going to want to go something high quality with one of those. You're going to want to get uh, something like a cast base. You don't want that blade flexing so where you've got uh, you know, a fat 
start and then it finishes out thin or even worse on the other side where it starts out nice and thin but it flares because now it's got resistance from the meat you you don't want that you want it you want consistency so find something that can give you that sort of consistency but if you got a slicer knife essentially a slicer knife is a thin blade but you've got some length to it um i've got uh Oh, shoot, I bet you it's a 10 to 12-inch knife, and it's a dedicated slicer. The actual end of it is rounded over, um, so you, you, know, you can't stab anything uh, as you're making a, a long slice across the cutting board. But what that long blade helps you do is not increase the saw action that you would get with a knife. Um, you want to stay away when you're, when you're slicing for a sandwich or you're slicing really thin, you want to stay away from the sawing action that you would get with a serration. What that's going to do is just going to tear muscle fibers. You're just going to be left with this crumble at the bottom. It, it doesn't make for a very good product. Whereas if you take one of these longer knives and by applying an even pressure as you push the knife forward and then also drawing the knife back shoot that was 24 inches if it's a 12 inch knife or if it's a 10 inch knife that's 20 continuous inches of cutting that you're able to use the full length of that blade forward and backward the fewer strokes the less lines or jagged edges you're going to get on that cut so if you can cut your strokes in half, that's going to give you that nice-looking presentation. That's going to give you consistency in your thickness. Um, eighth of an inch is something really to kind of aim for. If you can get thinner than that, even better. But I know some people, even eighth inch is, is tough to get to. So maybe doing three-eighths of an inch you know, staying just shy of a quarter inch, that can still get you a nice piece of meat, but then you're not going to be able to layer on or, you know, do get those folded pieces like you really want. Um, single slab of, you know, quarter inch, that can give you a nice, nice sandwich. I would say that off of a Veni uh, roast, that's like a, like a top round roast like I used. If it was a quarter inch thick, I would still have a worthwhile sandwich. It would be much thinner in profile because I like to get those really thin cuts, eighth of an inch thick, and then be able to take those and fold those over one another. Something about the fold action, something about layering it up just really has a, like an awesome presentation, but at the same time, like there's nothing better than a mound of you know cold cut right in the middle of that sandwich. So I, I aim for that, but that's not to say there's nothing wrong. Like, shoot, let's say let's say you're not even going the sourdough route and you are just going, you're packing a road trip or you're off to practice or you're off, shoot, you're off to a tournament. That's the one where you'd really do it. I, I got a buddy who their family would buy a loaf of bread and it literally was, they would take, they would take two pieces of bread, they would put a, a piece of bologna, a piece of cheese, bread throw that in the back of the sandwich bag and they would just rinse and repeat and they would refill that sandwich bag now with pre-made bologna and cheese sandwiches and that's what they would take to an all-day tournament mom would be up in the stands she'd have like whatever bag or whatever all their food munchies were in 
she'd open up that and then just pull out one sandwich, two sandwich. And now as an adult, I'm like, dang, that's a great idea. That's a smart idea. So yeah, if I, if I'm making something out of my turkey breast, I'm going to cut those quarter inch thick and I'm going to go piece of bread, piece of turkey, maybe provolone, Havarti cheese, something a little bit different, something a little fancy, throw on another piece of sandwich, throw that to the back of the bag, rinse, repeat, boom, 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 line up those sandwiches. When the kid starts squawking, you just throw a sandwich at them and man, it's ready to go. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Uh, Another thing, actually, I got this one from my sister-in-law. She started doing uh, pinwheels or like kid sushi, as she refers to it. And these things have taken on really well. This is our after-school snack. I have been making these uh, just because they transport super nice and because you can put all the sandwich material in there and it's literally like, you know, it's bite-sized at this point. Um, she'll take a, a large tortilla, the burrito size tortilla, and she'll coat, uh, real thin coat of cream cheese and she'll get the outside of it. And especially she's going to get the opposite end. So there's one end that you're going to start to roll and she hits the edge of that opposite. And that'll, it'll make sense here in in a minute. She then takes her sandwich material. Usually for her, she's using some of the turkey meat from, from our store. But shoot, she'll lay down two pieces of meat. She'll throw on uh, some of the cheese. She puts in a layer of spinach. You know, She's going to try and put some green in it, a little bit of a crunch. Um, she's even put different sauces on it. She's uh, utilized a bunch of the Chick-fil-A sauces, and she'll throw those on there as well. Just a real thin, even spread. And then starting at the one side, roll that sucker real tight. We're talking real tight on this. And when you get to the final edge, you've already hit that with the cream cheese. That's your adhesion. That's your tape. That's your stopper that you leave it on that edge a little bit, and it's going to hold the tortilla together so it doesn't come undone. She'll nip off the ends because the ends get real uh, spotty when it comes to making a good cross cut. But then she's left with a solid roll sandwich at this point and she will cut them half inch thick and she'll have, you know, six or seven pieces off of one tortilla. She stacks those in a Tupperware and now when she, you know, shoot, we're at the basketball game, she pulls it out, pops off the top, And she has these tiny little sandwiches that are just ready to go. And, I mean, granted, in a sitting, I could polish off the entire little tub. But two or three of these things, and the kids were super happy. They were satisfied, and they were moving on with the rest of their day. And it was like, man, that little pinwheel. Like, yeah, it's not a traditional sandwich. But at the same time, to shake things up with a roll-up, that really did kind of you know, it brought a little bit, it was something different, same ingredients, but a different way it was just thrown to you. I know there's some people who can't handle leftovers day after day. If I make a pot of chili, I'm going to eat that same pot of chili five days in a row and just be happy as a clam. But I don't, my wife, she can't do that. So having a sandwich one day and then using those same ingredients and having a roll up the next day, that's going to be her, her way to be able to continue to use our wild game. That's going to be the way that we're going to use our wild game, not just on a certain day or once a week basis, but really trying to get 
everyday wild game into our diet. That's the continued growth, and we're going to have ebbs and flows with that. Things are going to go our way, and then things are also going to not go our way. So by being able uh, to kind of present it in a different way, and maybe even get a chance to play with different species here. You know, we threw the turkey in, we threw the ham in. We've got the big three covered right here when it comes to sandwich making. So that's how that's how I'm going to try to continue to re-add uh, wild game into my everyday. So yeah, we got to get back on the ham making and turkey season's coming up here soon. So I know guys are going to be really wanting to stock their freezer up with another bird. Save half for Thanksgiving and use the other half for making sandwiches. So yeah, as silly as it seems, cold cuts, sandwich making, it's that fringe. It's that easy step. You know, you could grab a slice of bologna and, and just be fine. Or maybe you take a step up and roast your own uh, roasts just for the fact of making sandwiches. If you're going to be cutting it, make sure that knife is sharp and using less strokes as you go through to get that nice clean edge. And don't be afraid to uh, really experiment with, with seasonings on the outside. Trying something different like I did with the, uh, the salt and coffee rub, it really did add a pop to to that sandwich meat so folks whether you're going to be getting fancy with the sourdough and uh, all the different amenities that can go on to a sandwich or it could be even just going your straight lace white bread piece of meat with some cheese add your add your uh, wild game to it take it one little step higher but if you're going to cross that or if you're going to get that sandwich put together and you need to either cut it on a bias or straight across your choice is okay but make sure that knife that you're using is very sharp. <laughs>